Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 16, A Riotous Distraction The last few weeks in the new mobile abode had not been without their minor hurdles and difficulties for Marcus and Matilda. They had sometimes foregone warm showers, been forced to abruptly move on in the dead of night, mostly because of Marcus's paranoia, and the toilet situation left something to be desired. Despite all this, they were elated to be experiencing one of those rare and elusive things, a warm and dry English summer. With gorgeous blue skies and resplendent countryside as their backdrop, the two had clocked up the miles in what could best be described as continually high spirits. High being the operative word. If he had to sum up their journey thus far in one word, Marcus would have said, liberating. After the first night and subsequent day, in which Tilda had remained short with him for hurrying them on and forcing them to miss her brother's important delivery, her mood had softened. This was in part because Jay's situation had been rectified, but it was also difficult for anyone to stay mad when they were welcomed with some of the breathtaking views the couple had been blessed with. Matilda had spent the entirety of her 25 years in the grey and uninspiring confines of inner city life. Just to inhale fresher and less polluted air was a charming novelty for her. They spent the first week in the rural delights of Devonshire, where they were able to sell two and a half ounces of weed and 12 grams of mushrooms to the locals they had connected with through their app. This gave them enough cash and breathing room to take the following week off. They journeyed on through Cornwall, eating a hearty pub lunch each afternoon and staying at campsites with exceptional showering facilities. Marcus decided where their next destination would be on a day-to-day basis. His literal partner in crime had been completely bowled over by the so-called English Riviera. He only wished he'd taken more photos of her expression during her first ever seaside excursion. Matilda could not have conceived that the UK was home to such beautiful beaches, none more so than Porth Corner. The sand is so white, she'd yelled at him as they stepped outside. They'd swam in the sea, had a picnic on the beach and she told him it was the happiest day of her life. Marcus, on the other hand, was considerably better travelled than his girlfriend. He'd been taken on several British holidays as a child, although he'd never cherished those outings, and for good reason. Soon, these new memories were eclipsing the old ones. Tilde's childlike appreciation seemed to have the power to nullify past traumas. When their cash had started to dwindle, they moved on to Newquay and soon found that quality cannabis was in supremely high demand. After selling four ounces in two days and arousing suspicion from a few campsite owners and shopkeepers, Tilde suggested that they hit the road for an extended period of time. Even spending most of the day driving was enjoyable in the current climate. On the journey to Weymouth, they stopped off at a secluded national park and made love under the stars. It was shortly after this that Marcus decided he would like to extend their nomadic existence for as long as possible. The continual tasks of warding off insects and hand-washing clues seemed to be the only downsides he could observe in what was essentially a never-ending holiday. It was startling to notice that insignificantly more cramped living conditions 
compared to their home in Chatham, they were arguing less and laughing more. After three days in Weymouth and a dozen more grams of magic mushrooms sold, they decided to head inland for a change of pace. Veering in a southwesterly direction as they did not want to venture too close to home, somewhere between Sirencester and Oxford they found a campsite with a games arcade and indoor pool. Although the forecast suggested that the showers would soon pass, the weather had taken a less favourable turn after a full nine days of cloudless skies. Marcus gleefully potted the black, levelling the score on their second game of pool of the evening. Jammy git, Tilde yelled at him. Want to play a decider? Sure, Marcus downed the rest of what was either his fourth or fifth pint since they'd arrived. It's getting late though, have you checked the app? A few times, I don't think this is much of a party town. Maybe we should wait until we move on. Maybe, but we're down to our last couple of hundred. We could do with selling more. Oh God, should we start thinking about our spending? Marcus shrugged. I don't know, we've still got absolutely tons of products left in the camper and I marked up the price of what we've sold in New Key by £20 an ounce. Tilde laughed. Did you now? Kept that one quiet. Those yokels had never tried such quality weed. I could have named my price. Screw it, 200 quid is plenty to keep us going. Let's just chill and have a big push in a few days. Sounds good to me. Marcus raised his empty glass. Another drink? Matilda screwed up her face. I kind of fancy a joint. You want to go back already? Weren't we going to play another game? I thought we could just pop out the back for a minute. I have some on me. Bit risky, that. Oh, come on. No one will even care. Why draw attention to ourselves if we can just smoke in the RV later? Matilda wore an infuriating smile before mouthing the word, Pussy. Marcus sighed. She knew exactly how to push his buttons. Fine, just a small one. The sky was a deep, dark, purplish colour when they stepped outside. Amongst a swirl of clouds, fading rays of sunlight receded behind the horizon as dusk advanced into night. The ground was still saturated from the last heavy shower. Fortunately, no one else was around. Marcus followed Tilde to a rain-washed bench. She did her best to wipe away the water with her hand before sitting down and rolling a spliff. Marcus chose to remain standing. After they'd passed the joint back and forth for a few turns, Marcus saw a figure heading in their direction. Wearily studying the hooded male, he noticed that it was just a teenager. This put him at ease. What did not, however, was the observation that the young man was definitely approaching their bench. Evening, said the boy in a thick West Country accent. Sup, Marcus said casually. You guys smoking weed? Marcus frowned. What's it to you? Oh, be nice, Tilda interjected. She held out what was left of the joint. You want to drag? Are you selling? the boy asked. Depends how much you want to buy, Marcus said. Um, a queue? A queue, Marcus knew, referred to a quarter of an ounce. You got sixty quid. Sixty, repeated the teenager. That's a lot. It's quality ganja, kid, not cheap shit. The young man seemed to consider this for a moment. Fine, I can get you sixty. Give me half an hour and I'll be back. Make it an hour and come to our camper van. Marcus told the boy where they were parked and the couple returned to the arcade.
after another round of drinks and a final game of pool, which Matilda won comfortably, they decided to head home a little under an hour later. The boy was waiting for them outside. He looked up at them, smiling expectantly, like a dog whose owner had returned from a long trip. Marcus decided to wait with him while Tilde retrieved the small sealed bag of cannabis from the RV. After a fast exchange, the teenager was on his way. It struck Marcus that he could not have been any older than 16. Not sure that was smart, he said. Why? I don't like selling to minors. And in general, I don't like selling to someone we didn't find on the app. He's old enough, Tilde shrugged. £60 is £60. I just have a bad feeling. Matilda tutted. You always do. Marcus decided to stifle his concern by rolling an excessively large joint, changing into some more comfortable clothes and putting on one of the Austin Powers films. He grabbed a quilt and the pair cuddled together on the sofa. After a while, the room was so thick with smoke that they could barely see the screen and were just giggling at the dialogue. Neither of them felt tired and they continued smoking through the night, pausing the TV intermittently to engage in lively stoned discussions, tackling an array of obscure topics and bizarre theories on the world. I think one day dolphins will be able to communicate with us, Matilda said in all seriousness, and they'll tell us the real meaning of life. Marcus started chuckling hysterically. Matilda punched him in the arm. He eventually calmed down and wiped a tear from the corner of his eye. Hey, how familiar are you with Hindu or Buddhist philosophy? he asked. Um, dribs and drabs from my mum, but my dad always told her to shut up about it. Okay, I'll probably butcher this, but the meaning of life according to the Hindus, and then expanded by the Buddhists, is that we're all trapped in this kind of purgatorial realm and our actions inside it are separated into virtues and vices, merits and demerits. Yeah, like good karma and bad karma. Yes, the whole experience is one big test. Your good actions in life are applied like a credit to your own spiritual account, while the crappy things you do are debited from it. Certain acts like breathing are neutral, but most things carry some kind of karmic significance. You can reap the consequences of your actions approximately in your current incarnation. Oh, like when you cut in front of someone at a bar and then you spill your drink. Marcus laughed. Sure, and you can also harvest the cumulative effects in your next life. Right, where you might be reincarnated as a genital wart or something. Grinning, Marcus continued with his explanation. Well, that's what they say. All of this, everything is connected and we're all imprisoned in this perpetual karmic sequence of death and rebirth, an endless, inescapable existence of suffering. Jeez, life's not that bad, is it? She smiled and shook her head. Wait, don't they have a name for it? Huh? She squinted in contemplation. This miserable cycle, don't they call it something? Oh, I think so. Marcus twitched for the life of me, though. I can't remember. He feigned a laugh. Must have smoked too much. His reluctance to say the name stemmed from the unwanted association this utterance might conjure. Why spoil a nice evening? How do you end it then, this apparently ghastly ordeal we're all enduring, by never ever doing naughty things? I think that's part of it, but not all of it. 
Meh, Matilda said dismissively. I think I'd rather wait and hear what the dolphins have to say. An hour or so later, they were startled by a forceful knocking on the side door. They sheared a look, the banging continued. Who the hell? Cussing to himself, Marcus rolled off the sofa and opened the door. At the bottom of the steps stood an overweight and rather red-faced man of middle age. Yeah? Can I help you? I think you can, said the man, his tone far from cordial. He delved into his pocket and pulled out the plastic bag of cannabis Marcus had not long parted with. You want to tell me how my 15-year-old son has ended up with this? Marcus's face did not betray the small jolt he felt in his chest. Nothing to do with me. Are you kidding me? He glanced over Marcus's shoulder. It smells like a goddamn hip-hop concert in there. This was difficult to discredit. Hardly think that's any of your business, pal, but if you'll excuse me... Marcus went to close the door, but the man held out his hand and leant on it with his substantial weight. You're scum, you are. Do you know that? Going around selling drugs to kids. Again, pal, you're speaking to the wrong guy, so just do us a favour and piss off. Oh, please, I know it was you. There aren't any other people like you on this whole damn site. Marcus scowled. What the hell is that supposed to mean? I think you know what it means. The man had lowered his voice to a snarl. Reactively, Marcus raised his own. Right, get your big fat racist face out of here this second or I'm going to start swinging. The man flinched and took a step back. His voice became noticeably squeakier. Just give my son his 60 quid back and I'll leave it there. He held out the bag. Marcus took it, considering the suggestion for perhaps a second. Then he threw it back at him. It bounced off the man's chest and onto the floor. You've got ten seconds to fuck off or... Just give me the money. Ten. Nine. Eight. The man finally let go of the door. You're making a big mistake, son. Seven. Six. Five. Trust me, mate, you don't want to know what happens after I get to one. Four. The man stepped back several paces. Fine. He yelled, his voice even more shrill. I'm phoning the police. He turned and stormed off. Marcus waited until the man was out of sight before stepping outside and picking up the weed. When he got back into the motorhome, Tilde was sat bolt upright on the sofa. You should have just given him the money back. You know my rule, no refunds. Besides, you heard the way that dickhead spoke to me. He said he would have let it go. Oh, and you know that for certain? Marcus ran his fingers across his eyelids. Start putting everything in the compartment in the floor with the rest. Baggies, grinders, papers, everything. He marched into the bathroom and came out with a can of air freshener and then started spraying this. Matilda raised an eyebrow. Why? What are you doing? I'm driving. You can't drive, cuss. You're well over the limit. That fat muppet is going to phone the old Bill. You want to just wait here and see what they say? Matilda gave no verbal consent, but she started to do as she was told, which was close enough. He jumped into the driver's seat and started the engine. Then he held down the button to open both driver and passenger side windows. With Tilde busy rummaging around behind him, he crawled along as smoothly as he could. His heart was racing. Though he didn't feel drunk, he knew she was right. No breathalyzer on the planet would register him as under. He reached over the gear shift and shoved a handful of chewing gum into his mouth. 
he drove no faster than ten miles an hour along the campsite's road. It felt painfully slow. By the time they'd reached the exit, Tilde had started spraying. He turned on his indicator at the junction, waiting there for a minute despite it being safe to turn. That'll do, babe. Come strap yourself in. Once his seatbelt was fastened, he made the turn and accelerated to the speed limit of the country road. As he approached a roundabout, he noticed a huge luminous sign. Ultrasonic Festival, fourth exit. They drove on into the night in total silence, pelted by the air rushing in through each open window. After heading straight on at the roundabout, the roads were empty, which alleviated his nerves at first. It was too late for them to check in at another campsite. When he decided they'd covered enough distance, he'd think about turning off somewhere and parking up until morning. The ease he'd felt from the total lack of traffic soon vanished when he registered the flicker of lights in his rearview mirror. Blue lights. Oh God, Tilde said, clearly about to panic. Just be cool, Marcus mumbled, his words garbled by the chewing gum. He rolled both windows back up and pulled the large glob of gum from his mouth, shoving it into a cup holder next to him. Hopefully it had already achieved the desired effect of masking the alcohol on his breath. He waited until the police car had slowed down behind him, confirming that it was him they were pursuing. He then flicked on his left indicator and pulled to the side of the road. I've not drunk anything. I've not smoked anything. We had an argument with someone over a game of pool and decided to leave the site okay. Matilda nodded. One of the officers stepped out of the patrol car and approached the driver's side window. Marcus lowered it. Evening, said the officer. Evening, sir. I wasn't going too fast, was I? It's 60 down here, right? Your driving seemed fine. Licence, please. Oh, okay. Marcus retrieved his wallet from his hoodie pocket and passed the man his driving licence, focusing all of his attention on stopping his hands from shaking. The officer took the card. Wait here. The tension as they waited was unbearable. Marcus decided to think positively. He said my driving was fine. They don't usually breathalyse you unless they have reason to think you're under the influence. I wasn't driving erratically or anything. True, said Matilda. Her eyes were fixed on her feet as she slowly nodded her head. But that doesn't affect the possibility of them uncovering the 50 or so kilos of cannabis and psilocybin mushrooms stored in the floor and roof of this thing. Marcus didn't have a response to this. After a few minutes, the officer returned to Marcus's window and gave him back his licence. I'd like both of you to step out of the vehicle. Please stand with my colleague while I conduct a search. The words seemed to travel through Marcus's ears to strike him in the chest. With a sudden jerk he felt his heart rate triple. His first inclination was to refuse. But the officers would have undoubtedly uncovered his priors when they checked his name. He'd refused to search once years ago and they'd unlawfully checked his car anyway. Besides, any resistance or provocation could easily lead to a breathalyzer test. He decided to comply. As the pair walked towards the other officer standing beside the patrol car, time seemed to slow down. His last moments of freedom, perhaps. This seemed highly likely. He knew the quantity of narcotics in the motorhome would guarantee a stretch inside longer than anything he'd previously experienced. Longer than he wished to contemplate. More than any other time in his life, he wanted to be presented with a reset switch. A sudden opportunity for them to find normal jobs and settle down somewhere where no one would ever find them.
He wanted to tell her that he loved her, loved her more than he'd ever loved another person. He wanted to apologise for everything, for dragging her down into his world in the first place. But of all the options available right now, even the latter eluded him. He was still momentarily free. He could not incriminate himself with a heartfelt apology. Just as he watched the first officer slip on a pair of gloves and march towards their camper van, he heard a voice blare through the police radio so loud it made him jump. All available units to ultrasonic festival. That's all available units. Code 137. The officer beside them reached into the car. Unit 5753 receiving en route. Roger 5753, proceed to Camping Zone C, came a swift response. The officer shouted at his colleague who sprinted back towards them. This is your lucky day, son, he grunted at Marcus as he darted past. In a matter of seconds, both officers were in the vehicle and it sped away under a blaze of sirens. For a moment, the couple remained standing there in stunned silence. What just happened? Tilde eventually asked. Marcus shook his head. I don't know, babe. A miracle, I think. They returned to the motorhome and Marcus drove on for another hour or so, veering deeper into dark and desolate countryside. He finally pulled in when they found the type of secluded lane he'd envisaged earlier. They got into bed with barely another word spoken, holding one another until they both drifted off. Marcus was unable to sleep for long. He'd been dreaming of an intense police chase. He was desperately trying to evade a sea of flashing blue lights behind him when he lost control of the RV. He was skidding off the road and careering towards a thicket of trees when he awoke with a start. Relieved to identify his real surroundings, he slid his slightly numb arm out from under his girlfriend and peeled back the corner of the blind to notice it was still dark outside. With the earlier events still fresh in his mind and Matilda still fast asleep, he decided to take stock of his situation. He'd been thrown a rescue aid, there was no doubting that. But was it the reset button he'd sought earlier? An opportunity to change his life or simply a sign to stay the course? He needed to weigh up his options and take decisive action. Beneath him was a compartment packed with bags of consciousness-altering substances he trusted would assist him with exactly that. At least this was where his mind went. He'd taken magic mushrooms before with this motive. To him, the drug was a mental aid, not one used for recreation. They were ego-dissolving, the ultimate step back from any given situation. If he ingested just the right amount, they might cut through all of the trivialities and manute and let him focus on what mattered. He delved into the compartment, withdrew a bag and tore it open. The package contained three and a half grams, a moderate dose. He decided to eat all of it. As he waited for it to take effect, he repeatedly posed the question in his head, keep driving and dealing or ditch this life entirely. He urged the chemicals to provide him with some insight, deal or ditch. After taking a seat at the dining table and washing down the unpleasant taste with a glass of lemonade, he put on a pair of headphones and opened a playlist of instrumental songs on his phone. Several minutes later, he started to experience the awkward purgatorial phase. None of the sensations he felt was pleasant. A tightness in his jaw and neck. The underlying aches in his muscles seemed to increase in magnitude. His stomach became unsettled. 
Thankfully, all these complaints dissipated before long and the first profound thing he noticed was a swelling in the intensity of the colours around him. He waved his hand in front of his face and observed it leaving a residual trail behind it, as if the motion was captured in a burst of snapshots. The music then started to also become more penetrating, and the instruments were separating into deeply abstracted layers, guitars emerging somewhere distant, piano fading in and out. The drums were somehow closer and more pervasive. All the colours were startlingly vibrant now, like watching a television screen shift from low resolution to the highest conceivable definition. Accompanying the audio-visual aspect was an unrelenting swell of feelings and emotions. They came in waves. Some were comforting and uplifting, a sense of appreciation and wonder. Others were nagging and disheartening, pangs of sorrow and anguish. All you've put her through. This sentiment seemed to permeate his consciousness like rays of disapproving light. Was this his own disposition or did it come from an external source? It certainly felt like something outside of him. Why would you ever take the risk? You're a liar. You're a fool. He was feeling engulfed by guilt now, suddenly reminded of unpleasant conversations he'd been suppressing. A spotlight was cast on the manipulative means he'd adopted to influence his girlfriend, falsehoods he'd created to increase her involvement in his own selfish campaign. He was presented with every underhanded measure he'd employed to secure her acquiescence via a stream of inaccurate but highly elucidatory flashbacks. The conditions were fallacious, the underlying facts were real. He suddenly pictured himself as a distorted monster. A familiar image of himself kept creeping into his head, but his face was disfigured. The previously unassuming smile he wore was now malevolent. He'd never imagined himself as such an objectively ugly spectacle before. The music playing through his headphones started taking on a sinister quality. He yanked them off and grimaced. Pouring himself another glass of lemonade, he realised he'd not taken enough of the drug to prompt a characteristically bad trip, at least if he considered his usual tolerance. He felt in control of himself, and the campervan was still a campervan, although now all of his angles were discernibly warped and there seemed to be an alien, fractal nature to everything he looked at, juxtaposed to the emotions he felt. His hallucinatory surroundings were beautiful, tranquil even, with nothing to distract him from his inner turmoil. However, he had to simply ride the uncomfortable process out, suffering it like a profound form of penance. He did so for the next three or four hours. It was hard to comprehend the workings of his watch. When he felt the intensity start to fade, he stepped outside for some air. Through this transition, he received some respite. A cooling breeze began to soothe him. As Marcus finally began to feel himself again, it was as if a weight had been lifted. The road they'd pulled over on sliced through a densely forested area. It was becoming light outside now. Between the trees he glimpsed the first rays of the sunrise over the horizon. He stepped back inside and decided to make a phone call. He had a strong feeling that she'd answer. There was a long pause before he heard the elongated tones of the international connection. No surprise there. Marcus, she answered after the third one. Yeah, can you talk? Sure. 
Marcus dived into a descriptive retelling of the past few weeks, everything that had happened since the last time they'd spoken, before he'd bought the motorhome and hit the road. He concluded his story by mentioning the close call and explaining his current take on it. You know I'm not ashamed of what I do, I never have been. I've not sold anything but plants and mushrooms. I've never resorted to violence, never cultivating anything that I thought would bring harm. I sense a butt coming, Marcus sighed. But I have harmed someone. I've harmed her. She's gone along with everything I've suggested for the past three years. She could have done a thousand other things. I feel like I was offered salvation last night. I could easily be in a cell right now, mulling over ten to fifteen at Her Majesty's pleasure. But I'm not. What the hell should I do with that information? I thought I heard you suggest something a moment ago, something about normal jobs. His friend was being deliberately non-committal with her tone and choice of words. Marcus knew she had a particular style of giving advice, in that it never really seemed as if she was giving advice. She listened better than anyone he'd ever known, and had a habit of relaying your own opinions back to you, focusing a torch on what was already right under your own nose. This is pretty much all I've ever known. I've never had a reason to give it all up before. Seems like you found one. Just then, he noticed Tilde stirring. Knowing her feelings towards the female friend on the phone, he decided to wrap things up. Although it was perfectly platonic, he always found it difficult to explain the relationship in a way she could understand. He did not want to have to attempt it again this morning. Thanks for talking, he said. I think I've made my decision. Even though Tilde's stirring turned out to be a false alarm, he was far too awake to join her in bed. He started rifling through the contacts on his phone, trusted people in the drug world. After seven typed-out conversations, three phone calls and a total of six dead ends, he was connected with a man called Caleb. Caleb passed him on to a gentleman from Scotland called Blair. Tilde woke up just as he was finalising a deal. Okay, see you tonight. Matilda rubbed her eyes. Who was that? she asked mid-yawn. I hope you're ready to hit the road, babe, he said casually. We're heading to Scotland. The prospect of driving almost the entire length of the British Isles in fewer than 14 hours was not an enjoyable one for Marcus. By the time they reached Lancaster, he had already been on the road for four. Tilde voiced her reservations at several junctures of the journey, but as usual, she quickly seemed to make peace with his decision. Twelve thousand, she asked him when they pulled into a service station. Yeah, for everything. It's a good deal, Marcus said firmly. What do you think the street value of everything is? I know, several thousand more, and for the budding plants and pods, who knows? But I'm lucky to get 12, babe, for the short notice and for the bulk purchase. I think he's only agreed to it because I'm delivering it right to his door. And you're giving him everything? Marcus laughed as he poured into the closest space to the entrance of the service station he could find. Yes, everything. You don't want to keep, I don't know, a few plants just in case? No, I told you, we're out. We're out. Matilda repeated this softly to herself, as if just to process the statement. Her eyes seemed to lighten as she did so. If anything could strengthen Marcus's resolve for the task ahead, it was seeing this. She'd never wanted to be a drug dealer's girlfriend, 
She'd only ever wanted to be his girlfriend. If he'd had any doubts about this in the past, all of them seemed to completely dissolve in that single briefest of moments. The pair ate lousy fast food at the service station, listened to dreadful cheesy music all the way from Lancaster to Gretna Green, and he couldn't remember a time when he felt happier. If you'd like to learn more about J.W. Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. Bye.